Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and you know what that means. It's time to start the Christmas holiday season. And that means a lot of things, shopping, decorating, cooking, and music. Today, a favorite of ours, Giada Valenti joins us to discuss her virtual Christmas concert and new Christmas single. In downtown Las Vegas, the Circa has opened up to rave reviews, and one of its biggest fans is your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. You'll hear Scott's thoughts today as well. In the second half hour, Vegas Never Sleeps presents Sports Rock and Tours. On today's show, you'll meet Jack McCallum, basketball writer for Sports Illustrated since 1981. Finally, we lost another sports legend, this time from the world of pro football. Vince Lombardi Jr. comes by to remember his father's favorite player, the great Paul Horning. But first, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Joy, oh joy for Christ is born, the babe, the sign of Mary. Joy, oh joy for Christ is born. We love Las Vegas and we love Christmas, and what better combination to bring back our good friend Giada Valenti. And she's got a great new Christmas show. Now, she's been doing this for years, but now she's doing this one virtually in response to what's out there. Ajada, uh, is this the first time you've done anything like this uh, from a virtual standpoint? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> Christmas, yes. I have done, uh, actually, in July, we've done, we done also a virtual concert uh, uh, because, yeah, uh, I was missing my audience. And uh, so I, I did it. So it's going to be my second time doing that. Over the first uh, Christmas, of course. But um, hey, well, this one is always the first time for everything, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I know this one. You will do the best you can with that. It's called "Love Under the Christmas Tree," and uh, yes, Saturday, December twelfth at five o'clock Pacific time. We're all going to be there. Uh, you're doing that from New York, I understand. Actually, no, I'm doing it from Las Vegas. So this "Love Under the Christmas Tree" is uh, the, the let's say the the, the Christmas. Uh, version of my normal concert because I, I sing uh, love songs normally during uh, through, through the United States with my my concert and uh, I think maybe six or seven years ago I started with this concert it's called Love Under the Christmas Tree because personally I, I'm a Catholic I'm very religious in my own way even if I don't go to church but I believe that uh, the spirit of Christmas is about love it's about spending time and sharing time with family and friends and one of my favorite concerts you do normally for a a real audience because I always say you get the best audience around the holidays. You you, you get to have family, uh, grandfathers, grandmother. They come with grandchildren, their home kids, and uh, so they walk into the theater already happy. This year I was just like, we're all going to be home for Christmas. So I'll be home for Christmas. It's going to be a reality. And I said, but I don't want people to get you know depressed about it because still 
we are at home, but still we have our loved one. And so I decided to do it virtually. And uh, I do it from Las Vegas, from the house actually of a friend who lives in a beautiful place in Las Vegas. I live in a small apartment and she has a big house. And she said, you know what? I cannot do big parties like I do every year. And she's been decorating already the house for, for weeks. That's fantastic. You know, you were born and raised in Venice, and, you know, you were mentioning that actually we make more out of Christmas than even they did back there. Talk a little about what you grew up with. Memories are a big family in my grandmother's house. We always had, actually, we all had in our house the one of grandma. I think I grew up with this idea that for us, Christmas was not about the present. For us, getting to see family that you were not able to see as often as you wanted to, and was about to uh, share a um, good time around food. Because a dinner, uh, dinner for Christmas were like, I don't know, really, literally five, six, seven hours. Of course, we're not sitting around the table, but we were staying in the house of grandma. She was cooking. We could get there when Oma was still, my grandmother was still cooking. So we could smell the food. We were already getting cookies by my grandfather. And I get to see my cousin. And of course, there were little boxes under the, the Christmas tree. But we never went as crazy. You know, I've, I've been guests of family sometimes. For me, as a little girl, it was never like that. Because uh, I... I was always making a list. I, I wanted to have a Barbie doll. I wanted to have a, we have very popular, was the Chichabella, was like a doll. It was like a, a just born baby. And, uh, but I never, I was never almost, that was the principle of my parents because they were just like, you know, you're getting what we, uh, what, what, first of all, said you're getting what is available because I believe there was, uh, of course, uh, Santa Claus was bringing the thing. So you, you get what it's, over because there are so many kids so, and I was happy with anything there are famous pictures that all my fans they know and so I was over six seven years old and I remember was one Christmas the particular Christmas that my father was a police was a police officer he was not able to make the big dinner with the family so I already knew I would have missed my dad and I realized there as a little girl that was not about what I was getting was about the people that were coming to the house so I remember telling to my mom, I said, I only wish that uh, dad was with us and uh, I want to give him the best present, mama, because he's not going to be with us. Maybe he's upset. What can I give him to him? And my mom said to me, you are his best present. So I requested to my mother to uh, put me in a box. I wanted to be the present of my father. I was the best present. So um, I wanted to sleep in the box because my father was coming back home on Christmas day. But we prepared the box and then in the morning, I put you in, and I said, you have to wrap me in. Yes, Mama said. She put me in a box at 10 minutes before my father walked in. My father walked in, and my mom said, he could already see the box. And then my mother said, yeah, the box has arrived. So, and I, my uncle, uh, Reno, captured, woke up early, captured these pictures of me coming out of this box. And you could see my face. I thought that, well, I had the brilliance of the idea. You know, I was like, like my father, my father, of course, went home probably saying, oh, my gosh. And so my uncle captured the pictures, which I always opened the concert. And I share these things because that's what Christmas should be. More with singer and entertainer Giada Valenti in just a few moments. Time now for your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. 2020 has been a difficult year for Vegas, but one bright spot has been the construction and opening of Circa Hotel and Casino in downtown. Needless to say, Scott is a fan. Oh my goodness, Circa uh, exceeded all expectations. 
Uh, I, uh, I rave about it so much people think I'm working there or working for them, which I'm not. I just really like it. I like uh, what Derek and Greg Stevens have done. Uh, this thing costs $1.2 billion, and it's in the middle of downtown. Some of my favorite places uh, are downtown, and now there's one more. This place, it really is, you know, it's a visual symbol of the future of Vegas, the future of, of downtown. It's a, it's a fairly petite uh, resort. It's about one block uh, in size. But they've really done a lot with it. They haven't opened the hotel rooms yet. That uh, should be in December. But uh, there's two floors of casino, just everybody's favorite games. The great atmosphere is carried over from the D and the Golden Gate. They, you know, they kind of they got in their, you know, their their practice on those other two very successful and popular casinos, and now they just went, you know, to that next level. It's it's beautiful inside. It's really beautifully designed. They, it is a sports betters mecca. I mean, it lives up to the hype. It is a massive screen, super high resolution. I have no idea technologically how they've done this. Amazing. The pool complex is amazing. I'm not really a pool person, but it's very slick. Bumped into uh, Floyd Mayweather the other night, so it's obviously it's getting some attention. Thanks, Scott. Remember to visit VitalVegas.com every day for the absolute best in Vegas news. Just a reminder, please visit Vegas Never Sleeps and our great new show, Sports Rock and Tours, online. For the best in Vegas, it's VegasNeverSleeps.com. For great sports interviews, visit S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchin. Hi, I'm Gordy Brown, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. To reemerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro, a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols have been performed all in real time and an easy-to-read dashboard. 
Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Giada Valenti, whose annual Christmas concert, Love Under the Christmas Tree, will be virtual this year, streaming live on Saturday, December 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. For tickets, visit GiadaValenti.com. That's spelled G-I-A-D-A-V-A-L-E-N-T-I.com. A child is this who lay to rest A marrow's lap is sleeping Whom angels greet with anthems sweet While shepherds watch a keeping Thank you for doing that. It's going to really help get us through some of this Christmas, some of that great moments. And I totally agree with what you're saying. It's really about that feeling you've got. And, you know, I was looking at the list of songs, and I love what you've done because – it's all across the genres. You know, there's the old-fashioned songs that we love, traditional things that go back way a couple of centuries ago. But then there's some modern stuff, too. You can bring out your kind of quiet uh, ballads, and you can also do some of the kind of rockier songs. Uh, was that intentional? Are you trying to, like, mix everything up? Because I really, it, it's, a, it's a great list. I, you, you know, it, I do with all my, uh, the way I see music. Uh, I actually started with... with the way I, my grandfather used to say that uh, if you categorize things too much, you're going to get crazy. So people, well, good people, bad people. Music, good music, bad music. So I fit music in two categories, good music and bad music. And that's for me personally. So personally, I have a very uh, wide uh, array of what I like because I think a good song can be an uh, old, uh, sweet jazz tune of Ella Fitzgerald, but it can also be an heavy, uh, well-written uh, rock songs of Heron Smith. There's no... When a song is good, it's good. Good lyrics, good melody. So I always try to, to, to pick up all the songs that I like personally. I always think about myself first. And then, of course, I do the Giada Valenti spin. I redo them the way I, I fill them. And it's something that people really love because they never liked probably that version originally. But then when I do it, they said, oh, so nice. I never really cared for the song. But now, you know, my grandfather was right. There is only good and bad. And it's always a personal choice because sometimes stuff that may not appeal to me, maybe I talk to you and say, oh, I love that one. And, and, and I respect that. So I sing songs that I love. Well, one of the things we love is you've also put out, uh, released a new Christmas single, the great song, What Child Is This?, which is an old yeah. classic, but uh, I know it's out there right now. You did this with a couple of friends, and it's really, uh, again, putting your own style on it. Oh, thank you. Yes, that was a, a project made of love. We were all stranded in our uh, own apartment, and uh, and the two guys I'm working, I did the song together, is Paul Humbach, which is uh, an amazing producer. And, and I was friend with his, I'm friends with his violin player that comes all the way from Turkey. And he also moved a couple of years back in Los Angeles. We were talking about uh, the fact that we cannot get together and do anything. So he said, you know what? Let's all work on something. And we all agree that, that song, What Child Is This? It's about the child coming to this world. And when I mean somebody is going to happen and bring some light and some some 
positive things uh, every day, not only around the holidays. So we agree on the song and we all record it. I mean, I, I've received many compliments, so I'm glad you like it too. And it's, it's a difficult one. You have to, you are releasing only one song, especially for Christmas, to choose one that will please everybody. Don't you agree, Steve? We oh, all have I do. I do. So many songs. <laughs> there, there are so many. And what I like about this is, <sighs> this is one. I don't, you know, I know that everybody in it. You mentioned Ella Fitzgerald. I have a great album of hers for Christmas music yeah. and so forth. But you know what I like? I like to put it on random and move it around and you know get everybody's best. And Nat King Cole's the Christmas song. Yeah. And I think oh. this song for you is just I. I I've heard the What Child Is This uh, for years. I've never heard it quite this. Uh, moving and I think it's not it, it, it's of course your great vocals but it's also your violinist and your guitarist there it's just a, a really you can almost picture it in a small church somewhere in Europe you know that's kind of by itself you, you get that feeling just listening to the song oh thank you yeah we, we I mean it's uh, as I said it was a collaboration that started among friends first of all because uh, no, none of that of us did it with the intention of, uh, of any kind just we we wanted to to do something that people could play that was uh, from all of us to them. And the feeling that, because, you know, every Christmas we get the same songs, uh, same music. So and my fans were just saying, can you give us something? For years, actually, they've been asking me to do a Christmas uh, album. Every time they come to my concert, of course, uh, that's the, the the only place where people buy a, a CD uh, is a concert. And I never really had a, a Christmas uh, something to give them. So for years I've been... Uh, they've been asking me, and uh, one day I will do it, probably maybe next Christmas, because, you know, normally to prepare some people for the holidays, you have to start uh, around the, the summer to work uh, on your Christmas music, so maybe the next year is going to be, as it looks of now, quiet, also for the first couple of months of the year, so maybe it's going to be finally the year, the 2021, that I will put together like a Christmas uh, CD, and I think it's beautiful that I have already Christmas music in my house, and, and I, I play always my favorite, but every year, I'm also myself, I like to have some new, uh, the same song, but done by new artists, you know, and we all sing along. As I said, it's the Christmas concert for me is going to be one of, it's always one uh, one of my favorite one. This year is going to be beautiful and unusual because you see the happy faces. I will in them. You know what I've been doing also since uh, COVID-19 started, of course, besides my job alive, uh, my everyday appearances, singing, cooking, and interviewing people. Every Sunday, uh, I, I sing and uh, on Patreon. I started already, uh, I think, four months ago. Every Sunday, they can request song. They prepare every Sunday completely different, random song. They know I love everything. So I've been singing in French and Italian. Spanish and English. They asked me song I've never heard. They said, "Do you know?" That? I said, "Okay." So I'm learning so many songs, Steve. I'm, and so I said, "When I go back on stage, I'm going to have even a wider catalog of uh, music." You know, being born and raised in Italy, of course, I know a lot of the American music, but I, I miss a lot. Uh, well, I, I, you can't miss this. It's Love Under the Christmas Tree, Saturday, December 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can get your tickets at Jada's uh, website. It's G-I-A-D-A-V-A-L-E-N-T-I.com, and you can get it there. Can we also uh, download your uh, single, What Child Is This, as well? Yes, if they go on the same page or if uh, they, they can find a link uh, out to a purchase, otherwise they can go to Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify, and they can find uh, What Child Is This and all the other sounds. So, yeah. 
But the website is always the, the easiest way to go, the jadavalenti.com, even though my name is for right. Well, Jada, we can't wait for that. Uh, Saturday, December 12th is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to next year's Christmas album. I'll be there waiting for it so I can uh, buy it. I'll be um, first in line. Thank you so much for having me for this opportunity. You're always uh, the best. And uh, uh, Merry Christmas and the best of the year. 2021 is going to be amazing. Coming up, Vegas Never Sleeps presents Sports Rock and Tours. Today's conversation revolves around the greats of basketball, including Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson. In a few moments, you'll meet Sports Illustrated basketball writer Jack McCallum, who's covered them all. We're really excited about Sports Rock and Tours. Next week, we will add an additional hour. Go to SportsRacks, that's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com on the web, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. In the meantime, a reminder, Vegas never sleeps. Las Vegas, here we go! They were there when history was made. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Inside the 20. Touchdown! A Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! The Sports Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right, down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. Go crazy. Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports and Tours, a show that presents the observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half-century or so of American sports. Well, if you love basketball, you know Jack McCallum. He's been covering the NBA since the early 1980s and has written some of the best books on the subject. Just simply go to Amazon, take a look under his name, and you'll see all great books. You want to pick one up if you love this. Well, now basketball's being played in a bubble, but before that, right before that, people were getting their basketball fixed by watching The Last Dance, which was really a well-done documentary on Michael Jordan, and they chronicled him. Everything you hear about him outside of Muhammad Ali, I think he's probably the most well-known athlete maybe of all time. With that series, do you think that we learned more about him? And does that kind of change the way we looked at him? Because he always was like a, almost a fairy tale in the sense of that everything seemed right about Michael. And it, this brought a little different side. Not that he did anything wrong, but, but he, to win, you have to do a little more than just show up and be great. Well, I think to the people who knew Michael and who covered Michael like myself, it wasn't really a surprise. Uh, there wasn't anything in there that really shocked us. I mean, we're all engaged in journalism to a certain extent in this myth-making machine that no matter how much you write about the real person, that when you have an athlete like Jordan, that it's by definition, you are almost adding to the 
the mythic properties of the guy because he was so great. So even if you're going to write honestly that he was nasty to his teammates, that he, you know, competed too ferociously, that sometimes he, you know, didn't treat his teammates very nicely, even if you write that, that's sort of overwhelmed by what he did on the court. So this portrait emerges of somebody who, you know, is kind of a superhuman person. And the, the, the human part of that person is kind of like, you know, sort of just blotted out by all the incredible achievements that they did. So I understand that. But everybody's a human being. I mean, everybody has warts. Everybody has imperfections. So if it gave people another view of Michael Jordan, if they didn't think quite so highly of them, to me, that's okay. Because, you know, I always told my kids growing up that you, know, you can have role models and everything, but as soon as you start investing your entire person into something or think that this person is always perfect or let's model ourselves after this person, you really get yourself in trouble because perfect human beings don't exist. And that's pretty much one of the things we found out from the, from the uh, Michael documentary, which I thought, by the way, was very well done and I really enjoyed it. And it's something we kind of needed, you know, during the pandemic. Do you think Michael was uh, kind of concerned about this? Because he's always concerned about image. I mean, this this guy really knows how to market himself. Well, before it started, one of the interviews he gave said, I'm really worried that people uh, are going to see, you know, I'm really worried that people are maybe going to see another side of me that they haven't seen before. And I always, I thought he, that was kind of calculated. I thought that he was kind of setting people up to say, oh, uh, we're really going to see some bad stuff. And then when we saw the stuff that we did and it wasn't that bad, right? <laughs> I just think, Mike, to me, Michael was kind of calculated in that. And uh, as I said, his, his competitiveness and the way he treated his teammates once in a while and things like that, that was known, you know, like I said, to people like me that covered him. So... I'm sure he was a little bit concerned about it, but I think that he was calculated enough that it finally came out to me, this is just my opinion, that it wasn't that bad, that people came away kind of knowing the essential Jordan. Well, and the essential Jordan is he just has this drive to win. It's so hard. So do you think, like, since buying the Hornets, it's kind of, uh, it, it, it must bother him in a way because he hasn't been able to match that on-court experience with uh, the other side? Well, there's no question. I, I, you know, about Michael now and why the documentary was so fascinating. I mean, I think you hit it early. You used the word that he was almost like a myth. He was like to, to people that uh, people 20, 30 years old were now talking about people that never saw him play live, but yet still declare, hold him. And this kind of I call it like an Arturian legend. When I teach college, I always ask my students, why are you still, why are you so enthralled with Michael Jordan? You didn't even see him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, but yet he remains this kind of legendary figure. So he's still a point of reference. They still mention him more than they do LeBron, more than they do Steph Curry, more than they do James Harden. And it has to do with the fact that he created this mythic identity. And now that he's an owner and not very successful, he really stays out of the spotlight. 
And part of the reason I think he stays out of the spotlight is his frustration, disappointment, anger at not being able to get this team, you know, to the place where he wants to get him, at least where they would become a consistent playoff team. He's just not, you know, he's just not been able to do it. And it's got to be eating him up inside. And if you notice from the documentary, they didn't really cover that. No, they (laughs) didn't. (laughs) No, that was... You know, we didn't see the Michael of today. We saw Michael reliving what he did. And, and I mean, that was obviously very calculated. If you're going to do a Michael Jordan documentary, it's got to cover his years of failure of, I mean, it should, you know. Right. Yeah, that's what it should That should be part of it. I'm not saying we needed to have however many hours it was, 12 hours, six, you know, 10 hours maybe. We didn't need 10 hours of him sort of not being able to fix the Hornets. But we could have used a half hour of it. But, I mean, Michael, had, you know, as with most things, I've certainly found out dealing with, you know, Team Jordan and Corporate Jordan over the years, Michael really controls most things about him. And he certainly controlled part of this uh, documentary. And that's certainly the reason that we didn't see more about the Hornets. Now, one other person, the big story of the year was the loss of Kobe Bryant, of course. And I see kind of this thing where he's becoming a mythical figure now. But, as you know, I've read all your stuff, and there's really three levels of Kobe. There's the pre-Shaq Kobe with Shaq and then the post-Shaq thing. So his career went all over the place, right? And yet now he's being remembered strictly on the positive side, it seems. Well, he had this kind of fourth part over the last few years, which was that he had become this kind of basketball father and that he had become, uh, you know, his, his, his young daughter, uh, Gigi, who died with him in the unfortunate, uh, the tragic helicopter crash, you know, he had become sort of a missionary for women's basketball. And he had showed up at UConn game, shows up at the women's final four, takes Gigi around, does clinics, uh, meets the WNBA people. So part of Kobe, and I think that was legitimate. I mean, like, you know, we're, we're dads and we get it. But Kobe was in a position to turn this into kind of a celebrity thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I marched my, my sons all around the stuff and nobody cared. And well, should they? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but so, so this had given Kobe a kind of other identity also. And to me, if you read the stuff that happened after he died, Uh, That had a lot to do with it. We will be back with Sports Illustrated basketball feature writer Jack McCallum in just a moment. We're excited. Next week, we're going to add an additional hour of Sports Rock and Tours. Go to sportsracks.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com. On the web, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You're listening to Sports Rock and Tours with Stephen Maggi. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. 
Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. Welcome back to Sports Rockin' Tours. You are listening to Jack McCallum, winner of the Basketball Hall of Fame's Kurt Gowdy Media Award. That Kobe, who had gotten himself into trouble with an assault charge and who wasn't always the nicest guy to his teammates. I mean, Michael was Michael was easy to deal with compared to Kobe. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>, right. <laughs> as, as a teammate, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't Kobe's thing, being good to his teammates. That just wasn't it. And I think part of that, well, first of all, I mean, the tragic events of his death. I mean, it was just beyond sad that, that a little girl goes with him. Seven other people died, including, you know, uh, other, another child. So it was just so irredeemably sad that naturally he was going to get some moments of positivity about him, which is totally valid. I mean, I understand that. But, uh, you know, his legacy, and it will be written as the years go on, uh, his legacy is more complicated than that. There's no, there's no question that, uh, you know, that early in his career and a lot, of, a lot of points through his career, you know, Kobe was not uh, the right person, uh, not, a, not, a, not a great person. But I compare him and Michael uh, – they are two very similar guys that they are ruthless competitors uh, that they went out on that basketball court to do one thing. That was to score the basketball. They were scorers in that sense of the word. LeBron's not like that. LeBron is like sort of a Magic Johnson guy. Let's keep everybody happy. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's pass the ball around. Let's be a good person. And I'm not saying one way is right or not, but Michael and Kobe, no. <laughs> we're going out there to shove that ball down your throat, and we're going to score. And this is what it's going to take us to do it, and that's how they live their basketball career. Well, basketball, probably of all the pro sports, is maybe the most celebrity-centric sport, right? I mean, I, I see guys like him, and even back in the earlier days with Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, the big names and the really the superstars really transcend the game. So it's a little different in, the, in that regard. So if you want that kind of legacy, you kind of do have to drive yourself to win because just being really good isn't enough. I mean, look at Pete Maravich, right? Well, sure. I mean, I mean you have to get, that, to, to get that tag of ultimate winner. You know, you need, for better or worse, you need to have championships. Michael, I mean, oh, you mentioned Bill Russell. You know, he had 11. Thank you. That's probably enough. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that followed Will. That Will only had, had one in Philadelphia, and he had one when he went to the Lakers. I think I'm remembering that correctly. One when he went to the Lakers yes. later. Yeah. So he never became that, quote, ultimate winner that Bill Russell was. Michael had six. Kobe had five. Bird and Magic, what happened with them, and I think what set us on this course, was that Bird and Magic came into the league 
together in 1979. Magic won right away in 1980. Larry won right after that in 1981. So it became sort of this thing that if you were going to be the guy and you were going to be that star, you were going to lead your team to a championship. Kobe followed that blueprint. Tim Duncan followed that blueprint. But a lot of guys didn't. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of great players. Charles Barkley didn't. John Stockton didn't. Carl Malone didn't. Patrick Ewing didn't. Uh, Gary Payton didn't. The list goes on and on. And I think in a way that that template of winning championships that was set by Bird and Magic right away was a little unfortunate for some of the people that uh, that followed. In, in the Magic Bird thing, as far as the league was concerned, from a, a marketing standpoint, couldn't have been better, right? Both guys, different type of guys, but both seem like really good guys. And uh, they're loved by the fan base. And it, it just was one of those, right? And you couldn't wait for the Lakers to play the Celtics. So you watch the two play each other. That goes back to the college days. Well, A, you're correct about that. I mean, that's still the most watched. Think about this. 1979, they played against each other. The most watched college basketball games. uh, I'm sorry. The most watched NCAA championship game ever. (laughs) It's still number one. So this was sort of a Hollywood script that was written. They came into the league. People knew them. One was white. One was black. One went to the East Coast. One went to the West Coast. One played this sort of fundamental basketball. One played this kind of showy style. One had a quiet reserve personality, was called a hick. One of them dazzled the camera with a smile. It it just, one won a championship right away. One won a championship the next year. They went through the 80s where either the Celtics and the Lakes were in every final, even if they didn't win. So you couldn't, it was just impossible to construct that kind of scenario again. You, it just, you, you just couldn't do it. And since then, uh, according to uh, because people loved it so much, like you said, you couldn't wait for the Lakes to play the Celtics. To a certain extent, the league is still trying to, for want of a better word, duplicate that. You had sort of the Warriors-Cavs or the Warriors-LeBron. You know, you had that a little bit, Mm -hmm. but nothing they have been able to do, nothing has come close to Magic versus Bird, Lakers versus Celtics. I mean, there's just, it was the perfect scenario. It was man, it was mono versus mono, but it was also team versus team. It was city versus city. It was geographical area versus geographical area. It was lifestyle versus lifestyle. That just doesn't happen. And the league throughout the 1980s uh, really thrived, uh, thrived on that. Thank you, Jack. Remember to join us again in 2021 as Jack will be back with us once again. One sad note, we lost yet another sports legend, Paul Horning, who won the Heisman Trophy while playing football for Notre Dame and had a Hall of Fame career with the Green Bay Packers teams of the 1960s, died November 13th at the age of 84. Known as the Golden Boy, he was an All-Pro three times and won three NFL championships and Super Bowl I with the Green Bay Dynasty. He was a favorite of legendary coach Vince Lombardi. Lombardi's son, Vince Lombardi Jr., remembers Horning. Well, he was a, a good guy, a great teammate. You know, got a lot of attention and just, you know, never it never affected him as far as in the locker room. He was always just one of the guys. 
and uh, uh, and he had a, a swagger about him that uh, you know spread to the rest of the team, and that was good. And again, he was just a good guy, and it would you know you'd, you'd be hard pressed not to like him under under any circumstances. Thanks, Vince. By the way, in January we will sit down with Vince and discuss growing up Lombardi. You ever read the book Portnoy's Complaint? Well, there's a Portnoy in Las Vegas, and you won't have any complaints there. Some incredible artwork from the world of sports, entertainment, you name it, he can do it. Neil, what will people see when they visit the gallery? Well, the the first word they're going to say, like everyone else, when they walk into the gallery is, wow. Um, I work with Magic Marcus. Look, people, if you smell those things for 10 minutes, you'll be just like me. Very, very unique and different. I don't paint. You put a paintbrush in my hand, I'm useless. But I, in the 45 years I've been doing this nationwide, I've illustrated some of the nation's top athletes, entertainers. I've done pet portraits, limited edition collectibles, raised money for uh, national charities through the sale of my commemorative lithograph program. Listen, you're going to come here expecting to be here 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to kick you out two and a half hours later. Well, in the meantime, then, if people want to see it before they come out here, where are you on the web? Uh, www.idrawpeople.com. Uh, you can go to Portnoy Gallery. You can go to Facebook, which has Portnoy Gallery, Neil, N-E-A-L. My mother could never decide which came first, the E or the I. Neil Portnoy, uh, Portnoy Gallery, Instagram, at Neil Portnoy on Twitter. Listen, I'm all over the place, which is probably in Vegas a very good thing. And it's well worth your time. Thanks, Neil. Visit SportsRacks.com, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com, home of our podcast, blog, and lots of new stuff. And please follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.